Hello, and welcome to this podcast from the Future Healthcare Journal. My name is Kevin Fox, I'm the Editor-in-Chief, and we'll be talking today about our latest issue about patient safety. Joining me are Julia Ellis, our Editorial Board Representative from Patient and Carer Groups, who is also on a number of the senior committees within the Royal College of Physicians regarding patient and care involvement with a strong emphasis around safety. I'm also joined by John Dean, a physician in East Lancashire, who is also the clinical director of the patient safety activities of the RCP. And finally, from Chris Suba, who I'm going to turn to first, who can add his own introduction. So let's first of all ask the question, why did we focus on patient safety? Over to you, Chris. Hi, uh, thank you, Kevin. Um, my name is Chris Subi. Uh, I'm a consultant in acute medicine and I'm a lecturer at Bangor University. When we talk about care and quality of care, then safety is one of the key dimensions of quality and maybe pivotal if we think for a moment that healthcare is about pre- preserving lives and reducing suffering. There have been marked changes over the last few years in the way we understand the relationship between patients and clinicians and some of them have been brought in sharply into focus with COVID-19 when patients were called upon to contribute in a much more active way through things like home monitoring. So the way that we talk about ownership of safety issues has probably shifted. So this is one of the trigger points for this issue. Thank you. John, your first thoughts? I think there's a much greater awareness uh, around patient safety in healthcare. Um, And as Chris has said, I think the pandemic brought that uh, into sharp focus. Um, And some of our more modern thinking about uh, safety has also been highlighted by the pandemic. So how we think about risk, how we think around interactive systems, um, how we think about the role of staff and patients uh, in safety and how we work together on that. And how we proactively adapt as as things change around us to keep care as safe as possible. Um, it's also recognised as a key part of uh, of practice now and part of our everyday uh, service de- design and delivery. Um, but importantly, knowledge is developing, and we're understanding much better how to uh, deliver so- safe care. So that's why it's such a great fit for Future Healthcare Journal because we are looking to the future and looking. Uh, how we deliver safer care in the future. Thank you very much. Let me now turn to Julia. What were your thoughts when we said, let's think about patient safety and let's try and think about a patient-centred approach to patient safety? How did you react to that opportunity? Where did you place this in the importance amongst the things that we need to do to improve care? Thank you, Kevin. I'd say, first of all, that I found the journal, this edition of the journal, really inspiring in terms of the involvement of patients and carers in safety. I think there is a huge and in some ways untapped role for carers and patients to play. And I think it's summed up very well throughout the journal, but one particular quote that stands out, um, it's actually about the article on patient completed checklists. And the authors say patients often have expertise in their own conditions and can fill in the gaps in their medical history. And they observe the whole process of care as it happens around them, unlike healthcare staff who come and go. And I think that sums it up really well. Patients are at the heart of of 
their care and all the experiences that that make up their journey from diagnosis onwards. I think also it's true to say that not every patient and carer would be comfortable with getting involved. I think there's still a belief that doctors and nurses know best and really we shouldn't interfere or or question what they say. I think that attitude is less common nowadays in primary care where there's a growing acceptance if you have a long-term condition for example that you have a, a key part to play in managing your own health but I think the dynamics are very different when you're talking about acute care and suddenly you're in hospital feeling very anxious and ill and quite possibly in a lot of pain and many people in that situation and, I, and I've been there myself feel very very anxious very vulnerable and powerless and handing them a checklist and asking them to monitor the care that staff are providing could actually make them feel frightened and confused rather than empowered. I think that's the risk that needs to be looked at. And it's certainly a risk that's highlighted throughout the articles on, on this, on patient-centered checklists and, and so on. Um, but I don't think it means that you know, patients can't be involved in safety in these circumstances. But what I think it needs, rather than an adversarial approach, is a, a really collaborative approach with, with all the people looking afterwards. We don't want to be seen as the, the CQC in pyjamas that are watching to see how people are looking after us. And I think looking to the future, I think patients and carers need to be involved in, in co-designing research that looks in much greater depth at how you engage us in patient safety and get us on board. We know that there are opportunities there, but as in so many instances, it's communication, getting the communication right that's absolutely vital. Can I can I break in there? And I see that Chris is uh, wanting to chip in. Yeah, I, I really love the term of uh, CQC in pyjamas. Um, so thank you, Julia. And I think you're right. And, and patients are often worried about offending somebody. We know this from research about hand washing, that patients are worried to challenge healthcare professionals if they haven't washed their hands. But on the other hand side, there's also patient representatives like my, my local patient representative colleague, Laurie Smith, who I know would be happy and comfortable to challenge and, and would like to have the, the tools to do this. Um, and so there might be real value of, of giving people the option the option to to contribute and challenge and and in particular to reduce hierarchy gradients that we know are are dangerous both in the relationship between patients and healthcare professionals but also within clinical teams and there's a very generic point that i would like to add to that and and i call it an ethical one um we know from lots of healthcare professionals, myself included, that if a relative or friend is in hospital and they are unwell, then somebody will contact us for advice and we will sometimes check up and see what's happening and advocate and maybe point out things that might have been overlooked. Um, and in 2018, we had a global consensus conference from the International Society for Rapid Response Systems. And we tried to find something to express what quality of care is for patients who are that vulnerable and deteriorating in, in hospital. And there was a very strong agreement that allowing patients to raise the alarm is a robust marker of a patient-centric system. Or as uh, one of our patient representatives, Alison Phillips, said at the time, everybody should be allowed to call for help, even in hospital. Thank you very much. Let, let me take forward empowerment. So we've talked about empowerment, about communication, 
but also um, we have a paper from the USA that talks about empowerment of notes and the openness of notes and whether people can uh, utilize those to improve safety in a similar sort of way perhaps Chris what are your thoughts on that paper? No, absolutely. And and so one of the striking findings of that piece is that the patients that were interviewed found that in one in five notes, there was a, a perceived error. And in two in five of those, they, they thought that that was actually quite a serious error. But most of them, or half of them, didn't think that they could speak up about this. So that shows really sort of the challenge that, that Julia put forward earlier. You know, even if patients would know that something is not quite going right, it is a long way to get to a position where we're at eye level and this can be comfortably expressed. Uh, but it's one of the papers from this issue that shows um, what what might be on the horizon. And, and uh, several of those papers came from a conference that we had earlier this year under the motto of patient-powered safety. And I think there's some very encouraging things happening. And some of them are part of a global trend, not just in healthcare industry, but um, in most industries in that we are having things that used to be exclusive for super specialists that are being translated uh, so that everybody uh, can use them. So, for example, we're doing a podcast now. You couldn't broadcast 10 years ago without a big studio. Now you can do this in your own home. And in the same way, we've been trying to translate things that are really complex about acute illness into tools that anybody in healthcare can use with things like the National Early Warning Score, but we're now learning how to translate this so that everybody can contribute. And doesn't have to contribute, but can contribute. And I think that's that's really, really an important aspect for me. Thank you very much, Chris. Julia, your thoughts? Yes, I, just sort of following on from, from Chris's comment about the kind of sharing the global approach, I think what would be really interesting as, as part of say, a patient safety checklist or the rapid response service would be some kind of sharing, a broader sharing of what was actually learned from perhaps an experience that a patient had highlighted. If a patient felt perhaps staff weren't taking their concerns seriously and they called in the rapid response team, I think it would be really useful to to share the outcome, to share with the patient and maybe their family what happened. And also, and this is really important to anybody who's experienced poor quality care from, from what I can see, is, is finding out how they're going to make sure that it doesn't happen again to other people. And I think that's where this sort of open, um, this open forum approach where you're sort of drawing on best practice, on communicating and, and sharing experiences is, is really so important. John, you, you have a comment. Yeah, so I was interested from what Julia's saying around uh, you know, patient and family involvement in, in, in learning. And I think it's highlighted in one of the other papers uh, in this, which is the, the paper from uh, um, Sean Weaver and, and, and colleagues from HSIB, which talks about systems-based investigation and how historically when we've investigated uh, um, safety issues or, or, or adverse events in healthcare, we've, we've, we've tended to do that just from a professional perspective or from the care that we expect to be delivered perspective we've not really taken a whole systems view of that understanding uh, how lots of different components of what we do and how we interact uh, can result in in, a, in adverse events or, or risk of adverse events and they also highlight in that paper 
um, the role of patients in investigation because, of course, patients and families bring the perspective that we've just been discussing. So if we're investigating when something went wrong or might have gone wrong, unless we bring that perspective in, we're not looking at the whole system. So uh, I think that's uh, that paper really, really highlights what we've just been discussing. Thank you very much. We've talked about involving patients and carers. We've talked about healthcare professionals. And now, of course, with healthcare professionals, that's a very broad group of people. In particular, the RCP and the Future Healthcare Journal have both been promoting the vital role of physician associates and other allied healthcare professionals. And we've included articles that discuss their role and the opportunities that that represents. So, John, could I turn to you to discuss the role of physician associates in patient safety and the papers we've published in this issue around that? Uh, yes, absolutely. So, uh, um, um, I think... Again, coming back to previous discussions, we talked about hierarchies, we talked about wider clinical teams, uh, and increasingly physician associates are a part of that, that, that wider clinical, clinical team. Um, sometimes at the moment, they, they might be seen as, uh, you know, early career members of the, of the team, but actually, you know, what we, what we are seeing and what we are um, embracing is the fact that these members of the team are constant members of the team uh, over uh, many years, and therefore they understand how local systems work really well. They provide continuity for patients, continuity in the team, understand how their local element of of, of care works. Um, and, and so I think we're recognising um, the fundamental nature of a constant member of the team that understands how care is delivered, is contributing themselves but also creating that uh, lessened hierarchy, that that openness, and can really role model around um, uh, around patient safety and an open culture where we can uh, we can raise uh, when we see a risk and something might go wrong, uh, or where someone's uh, you know uh, performing or, or practicing in a way which is not usually done in that unit, and, uh, and might raise that. And the other article uh, is around prescribing. And uh, whilst physician associates can't prescribe at the moment, they certainly will be able to in in, in the future when they're registered practitioners. And um, uh, and I think what we're learning about prescribing is where this has been a doctor domain in the past. I think what we're learning from other professionals being trained in prescribing is that actually these days other professionals may be better trained in modern prescribing, which is a collective, multi-professional, patient-centred piece of practice. It's not just something that the doctor does to the patient, but actually taking a holistic view on safe prescribing, patient involvement, bringing other, other members of the team into our thinking when we're prescribing, administering and monitoring the effect of medicines is really important. And that's the training that physician associates should be getting. And that's the training, actually, that all prescribers and members of the team should be getting. Thank you. And on a personal note, I would say, thinking back to my last week when I was the physician of the week on an acute cardiology ward, it was the rigour that our physician assistants Mm. brought that was so helpful in what can be in a rather chaotic environment, patients being wheeled in, wheeled out, phone calls going, pages going, but they were focused they showed rigour and they were very much at the heart of safe care in that ward. Absolutely, was my experience. 
I'd like to talk about the paper on COVID um, and then uh, go around again and take some further comments from uh, Julia and Chris. But um, what have we learned from COVID about patient safety? Can I turn to you, John? Yes, and again, Chris and I highlight this in the editorial because I think there are many aspects of a number of papers that do that. But the the, the paper that really focuses on that is is the one that takes a global perspective around healthcare safety. And what's interesting about that is, whilst patient safety has been a becoming was becoming an increasing global policy priority in healthcare before the pandemic. Again, what the pandemic has done is highlighted, you know, really key aspects of that. So how is universal healthcare a patient safety issue? Access to healthcare? How are fragile countries and fragile health systems, um, which have been exposed even more during the pandemic, how is that a patient safety issue? Um, but also, how do we get global learning? So I was really struck by the case study of Sierra Leone, where they use their learning from Ebola to apply that uh, to, 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 to uh, COVID-19 and actually had significantly lower rates uh, than, than other countries in Africa. Um, and what's interesting about that paper is how they then turn that into, OK, we learn around uh, a much more holistic uh, practitioner involved a patient and family involved approach to safety but also to improvement so that if we address some of these core fundamentals uh from a global approach learning from other from other countries uh, actually we might we, we might improve uh, safety of healthcare even more uh, and and finally within that and very topically at the moment how climate change is a patient safety issue particularly uh uh, in a number of resource-poor uh, countries as well. So actually, if we're looking forward in terms of patient safety, we, we need to be uh, addressing the issue of climate as well. So a very thought-provoking paper, I thought. Thank you very much, John. And you touched on the fact that we could learn from previous epidemics, such as Ebola. And there's a, another article in this issue which looks at learning from influenza and other respiratory viral infections and I think while many people threw their hands up when COVID started saying we've not seen anything like this ever before I think as we reflect we'll realize that perhaps we had but perhaps we hadn't learned all the lessons and going forward let's hope that we do pick up the lessons from COVID as we go forward. Um, let me put you on the spot John and Chris let me say We've read the articles. We encourage our readers to read the articles. But from your point of view, if I asked you three reasons why mistakes happen, three things that we can do to make the biggest difference. John first. OK, and I think these these points are highlighted in, in, in some of the, the, the wider review papers that we've, we've not touched on. And what I like about those is the way they interrelate around human factors, around system learning, around digital uh, and, and around medication safety. But if I was to sum it up in three things, I would say the things that uh, cause potential harm are poorly designed systems of care, stressed systems that we've seen in the pandemic or, 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 or that we're seeing currently with, with pressures, and not adapting to new, to new risks, not adapting the way we deliver care because of those new risks uh, uh, that, that are emerging. 
Um, yeah, and, and just to expand really from John, if we look at systems, um, and then we'll have to see, you know, why are they in the way that they are and how can we change them? And I use increasingly this lens of behavior change with um, looking at capability, motivation and opportunity. And capability is only very rarely about the pure knowledge, um, but often about um, the environment in which things happen and the opportunity to have enough time to do things and um, and and be in an environment where doing the right thing is what everybody does and is socially supported. So I think that's the reasons for me why things go wrong in hospital and where we need to try to improve. Thoughts on three things to get it right. So, uh, firstly, working together as teams in a non-hierarchical uh, culture, a culture of learning, a culture where we can call out if we if if we see a risk, and a culture in which we're all involved in learning. Uh, secondly, uh, a no blame uh, culture, so that we understand that actually, if something goes wrong or could go wrong, it's because of a system error uh, and and a system design problem. Um, and thirdly, looking beyond the hospital, if we work in hospitals, because many of the uh, challenges that we see in one part of the health system are actually created in another part of the health system or, or, or in, in the interdependence of, of them. Thank you. So to me, it's linked to what John said about understanding what happens outside of hospital care. And some of that is around understanding what chronic disease looks like and what is normal for an individual patient in a system where very few people have got a normal physiology as it's described in textbooks. Um, it's about understanding who knows about patients. And I think this issue brings to the fore the power that patients have to contribute to that. Uh, nobody knows about their health as they do and those who really care about them. And that's the third thing for me, allowing those who care about somebody to play an active role in care and safety. And I'm going to go back just for a second to system design in aviation. We always think it's all about processes and procedures, but it might actually be about self-preservation that makes aviation so good at uh, preserving lives. And this is a mechanism that we haven't really exploited to the full in healthcare. Thank you very much. So. Let me finally turn to you, Julia, your last thoughts. I think the, the theme that John and Chris have chosen in this particular issue is an area that it will always be very high up the agenda. And it seems to be looking at it as a, a layperson, it still comes across as a real stimulus for innovation. And that's been compounded, obviously, by COVID. Um, but I think Reflecting on the articles, the, the real sort of standout piece for me was the article on key learning from COVID and and the importance that actually kindness pay, plays in patient safety. And I'd like to end with a, a quote by the authors of the article, um, which which will stay with me for a long time. They say, compassion and kindness are essential components to develop safe, effective and person-centred clinical care teams. The concept of kindness is not new. It is fundamental to care in many cultures, for example, in India and across Africa. 
And the article goes on to say that research on the acts of kindness led to improved patient and family experience. And interestingly, this made them more likely to adhere to therapy and led to a positive perception on the healing process. And also, again, it's really interesting to me because it, it, it encompasses all aspects, everybody involved in, in safer care, which includes the professionals as well. It says there were also positive effects for professionals, including joy in work, less risk in burnout, and the development of a positive work environment. And I think it's such a good reminder of the importance of empathy and compassion, not not just for good patient experience, but again, excitingly, for safer health care as well. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. I do hope you enjoy reading the papers, which you can find at www.rcpjournals.org. Um, and you can regularly get our tweets, which update on news from the FHJ. Finally, can I take the opportunity to thank Julia, John and Chris for your contributions to this podcast. And I hope you enjoy it. Bye bye.